Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. You doing good? Yeah, you can say Merry Christmas. Whether you are watching this before Christmas or you're watching this after Christmas, I hope you have had or will have a Merry Christmas. And it's hard to believe that we're at the end of the year and we're at my favorite time of year. And I think this year more than every other year, I want Christmas to slow down. Right? I want Christmas just to be a time where we do celebrate the story like we have seen now in those three separate videos of the story of Christmas. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate the story of Christmas. And especially if you're new, I'm going to have to kind of catch you up a little bit because we've been going through the book of Micah. And today we're actually going to close out the book of Micah in Micah chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to look at the last three verses. But those of you that have been here, you know we've been going through this story. This is now week 10. But what's cool is the end of this book and the story of Christmas really come together in one amazing Way because what we're going to see in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, is what the story of Christmas is all about. And so, as you're opening up the Bible, um, if you have it, if, don't, if you don't, don't worry about it, we'll have it on the screen. I want to ask you a question, and then after this question, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into Micah chapter 7. So, here's the question it's going to frame our time together, and this is one of those rhetorical questions. Again, if you're, if you're new around here, there'll be times where I ask you to talk, uh, talk back, not in a bad way, it's all right, I'll ask for it. And then there's other times where I just want to, you to think about something. And a rhetorical question is one of those where I just want you to think about it. So, I'm going to ask this question twice. I'm going to open up our time together with the question, and then I'm going to end our time together with the question. And here's the question, all right? The question is this Who is a God like him? Who's a God like him? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the answer to that question, all right? Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, whether it's in person, whether it's online, to worship you. And God, we want to celebrate what the Christmas story is about. But we know, God, that maybe there are some that don't know the story or don't fully understand the story and see it for what it's fully worth. And I pray, God, today that if that's the case, that you would open our eyes to see that and our ears to hear that. And God, as always, as we open up your word, I pray that you would help me to communicate it in a way that honors you and that it is helpful to us. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason why I started our time together with that question is because Micah starts this verse, these last three verses, with that question. As you're going to see in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. He answer, or asked the question, who is like God? And then he's going to answer the question. And he's going to ask and answer the question in such a way, it's kind of a, a literary device, if you will, and that's what a rhetorical question is about. It's used to make you think. But Micah's going to ask the question in such a way and answer it in such a way where it's called a forcible denial, which you come to the obvious conclusion that no one is like God. Now, I'm going to read to you and explain to you why Micah thinks that that's the answer to the question, who is like God. But then again, I want you to think for yourself, because just because we're in church doesn't mean you can't think for yourself, all right? We want you to think and ponder that question, which is why I opened it up with it, is who is like God? Who is a God like him? So let's jump in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, and you're going to see how he asks the question, and then you're going to see how he takes three verses to answer it. So here's verse 18. He says, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Now, he's talking personally to God, 
But then he's going to give some specific things as to why he answers the question, there's no one like you. And I'm going to break those seven things down for you in this text. And and depending upon you count them, maybe seven, maybe eight. But the point is, I just want you to see the, the reasons, if you will, that Micah gives why there is no one like God. So he goes on. He says, who is like you? First, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So three or four things, again, depending upon how you count it, Micah says right there as to why there is no one like God. So he's asking the question again, who is like God? And then he gives you his obvious answers. And he wants these answers to be so obvious so that you come to the same conclusion at the end and say, well, there's no one like you. And just to put all my cards on the table, just so that you see that hopefully I'm not a dishonest guy, I want you to know by the end of the sermon today, I hope you come to the same conclusion. This isn't a bait and switch kind of thing. I do want you to come to the same conclusion, but I'm going to work a little bit to show you why I think you should come to the same conclusion and use the arguments that Micah makes here. The first thing he says here is this. There's no one like God because God pardons and passes over sins. Now, the idea of sin or trespasses, there's multiple words or even iniquities, as you see here. There's multiple words that the Bible uses to describe that. Now, we all understand this, whether you are a biblical person or not. But ultimately, when you go outside of a law, when you break a law, we might call that a trespass. Right? If someone has a no trespassing sign and and I had to learn the hard way, those aren't suggestions, right? And, and, and when you see speed limit signs, those aren't suggestions. Like, no, here's the limit. And if you cross that, you are trespassing or you are breaking a law or you are committing sins or you are now have iniquities. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I have broken a law or I have trespassed or I've done, done something, dumb something, that's another way to say it, right? Done something that was dumb. We just call that dumb something, all right? Uh, I like to make up words around here if you didn't know that. But whenever I have transgressed or I have broken a law and I am deserving of punishment, I don't know about you, but I was the kind of kid growing up, and I talked a lot about my dad because he had such an impact on my life, but I was the type of kid that got really nervous about that. When my mom said these words, wait till your father gets home. Anybody else thought like that? I mean, again, my dad was a big dude and and he had a belt and had his last name on it. And that name would be imprinted on my backside quite frequently. And and it was one of those times where my mom said, uh, wait till your father gets home. I was hoping that either A, he wouldn't come home, which is horrible, right? Because he was gone a lot. Or I was hoping that my mom forgot before he came home, right? Or I was hoping, let's be real honest, that I could somehow blame my brother and sister before he got home for what happened, or I could be nice enough to my mom where she would pass over my sins, right? She would pardon my iniquities. It's the same kind of idea when you're speeding and don't like this, don't act like this has never happened in you. This is church. You can't lie. All right. But it's like when you know you're speeding and you broke the speed limit and then you see the police officer drive by and instantly you're thinking, oh my gosh, I hope they're onto some other emergency, right? I hope they didn't see me. I hope they didn't notice that. I hope they were too busy. I hope they were kind. 
And it's one of those things, and I don't know if you've had this happen, but I had this happen not too long ago. I was driving back from our Jasper campus back to Canton, and I, I wasn't speeding because, like, you get five-mile grace, right? It's like five-second rule on the ground. And so I, I wasn't technically, I mean, technically I was speeding, but in the spirit of the law, I was not, right? And so this cop was coming the other direction, this police officer, and he flips around, and the lights go on. And, and again, I, I respect our law enforcement. I'm like, oh, but please, please not be me. And thankfully, I mean, and this is one of those times where the cop pulled up behind me and got like behind me and I'm seeing the lights and I'm like, oh Lord Jesus, no. And he goes right around me. He passes me. And I was like, oh Lord, thank you, Jesus, right? You have grace and favor on my life. And he pulls over this girl in front of me who was really breaking the law because she was driving with her phone out. And I'm like, get her, right? Yeah. <laughs> she trespassed. She's guilty, right? But it's that idea of like, when you are guilty, you know you're guilty, when, when someone pardons that or passes over that, and, and, and I'm just talking about my mom and police officers, right? I, I'm not talking about in a cosmic sense. But, but Micah is talking about it from a cosmic sense when he's saying, there's not a God like you because you are the one who pardons and passes over. He goes on, why? A couple other things he says here is because he doesn't retain his anger forever. Now, whenever we talk about the anger or the fear of the Lord or the wrath of God, again, people don't always like that concept because they don't like to think of God as mean. And, and there's a lot of people that do think of God as mean. They just see him as this crotchety old man upstairs that's going to strike them down. It always makes me laugh when people come into church, like, has the building fallen down? No. I mean, it's not because you were a sinner, you came in church, and the, like you were okay the moment you were outside the building, but now you're not okay when you're inside the building. It's like when people are like, I can't cuss in the Lord's house, but you can't out there, right? It's this weird idea of how we interact with God. But I want you to understand, it's not a bad thing. And, and those of you that have been here, I've talked about in the book of Micah, why it's not a bad thing for God to have anger towards sin, to have anger towards wrongdoing or iniquities or trespasses. Again, those of you that have been sinned against in a very grievous way, you don't want to live in a world where there's no justice. We've talked about justice over the last several weeks. And if you haven't been here, you can go back and listen to those messages. So it's not a bad thing that God gets angry at sin or God gets angry at injustice. But here's what we all need to understand. God gets angry at injustice or sin or iniquities or trespasses because he's a just God. But at the same time, it's not like he gets excited about that. It's not like he set out to just create a world where he could make people and make them obey rules and strike them down if they disobey them. I mean, that would be a sad indictment on God if that were the case, right? And here's what I love what Micah is saying. The reason why there's no God like him is because God is emotionally healthy. God is not a God who's just looking to get angry at everybody. Why? Because he says it next. Because he delights in steadfast love. He delights. He gets joy. Now that phrase there, steadfast love, also means mercy. Depending upon your translation, it may have kindness. It may have mercy. 
The ESV calls it steadfast love. It's all the same Hebrew word, and it's this idea of, a, of, a, of an affection towards somebody that you can't break. And so God delights in mercy. He delights in kindness. He delights in love. And again, when I think about my parent or a police officer, what makes someone good in that scenario is, yes, they will judge when you trespass, but that's not what they're looking to do. It's not like they're MO to just want to punish. It's the idea as a parent, and now that I'm a parent of two kids, yes, I punish my kids, but I'm not watching my kids just to see when they trip up so I can spank them. In fact, I'm doing the exact opposite. And this is what, it's in a parenting sermon, but this is a little freebie for you. The best way to parent or the best way to have a relationship with anybody is not just watch them for when they trip up to try to nail them, but watch them when they do good and try to help them. And so what Micah is saying, what, what sets God apart is God is not angry and just trying to spite everybody. Now, if you've done any kind of study of human history or any kind of study in a religious sense about the religions of the world, you will see every other religion in the world, their gods are angry. Their gods are just looking to spite. And God stands alone, unique in that. And, and what Micah is saying is he's not like all those other gods that are just angry. And in fact, I didn't know this, but I learned this not too long ago. You know the, the phrase when like when something, we want something good to happen, we don't want something bad to happen, we're like, oh, knock on wood. You know where that comes from? I didn't know this. But in, in, in more ancient religions, the idea was that the trees, big trees, look up into heaven and spirits dwelt within them. And so they would knock on the tree to try to awaken the God to have favor on them. So you didn't know this, but when you're knocking on your table, you are trying to say, oh God, don't be angry with me. Now you're like, bro, I'm just knocking on a table. But here I would say it to you like this. Well, what good does knocking on a table do about whether you have bad luck or not? But it makes you feel better, doesn't it? Oh, knock on wood. So now I hope for 2020, that's a tradition you quit doing. Once I found out the origin of that, I ain't knocking on no wood anymore. But, but why, do we, why do we as humans have those kind of traditions? It's because we don't want God, if there is a God, to be angry with us. And what Micah is saying is what sets God apart is he's not a God that's ruled by anger. He's a God that's ruled by love. Now he goes on, look at verse 19. He says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So several more things here that Micah says. First, he says, he will have compassion on us. Now, the word compassion in, in the Hebrew biblical idea is something that you feel in your gut. Today, we talk about emotions as though they exist in our heart, but the biblical, more ancient people just talked about where they felt it because you don't feel it in your heart when you're nervous or, or when you have compassion. You feel it in your gut. We call it butterflies in the stomach, right? And so this idea of compassion is, is God. Micah is saying about God, he has deep feelings about us, deep emotional feelings about us, and that is one of compassion. And this word compassion here is used in the concept of how a mother cares for her children. 
Now, again, think about it. An emotionally healthy mother, and maybe you had one, maybe you didn't, maybe you are one, maybe you're not, all right? If you're not, we can help with that. Stay tuned for 2021, all right? But is there anything on planet Earth better than a mother's love? More compassionate, more deeply seated in, in, in I mean, literally in your womb, because that's where the kids come from, right? You feel it. Long before the men feel it, you feel it. And that's where I think that idea comes from. And this word compassion, Micah is saying is, well, God feels that for you. And this is why one of the most earth-shattering things that can ever happen to you as a human being is you actually have a kid. Because then you start to get a sense of God's love for you when you think like this. Oh, hold up. If he feels about me the way I feel about this little pipsqueak, that's crazy. I'll never forget when my son was born. Very traumatic experience for me. Just kidding. I'm joking because obviously Lindsay went through all the hard work. I got to eat while she couldn't. She was fasting. And she's let me know about that for 19 years now because I was literally eating in front of her as she was pushing. Not a good move, man. But when Jackson was born on January 6th at 7.30 and he came out and it was this alien encounter and those of you that have been through it, you understand what I'm talking about. And then I saw him and my whole life changed and instantly burst into tears. And I'll never forget, they wipe all the white stuff off of him, roll him off into the little nursery. And I'm on the other side of the glass, just bawling my eyes out. I'm like, that's my boy. Well, that's the feeling that Micah is describing. Two other things he says here. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and cast all of our sins. See, the first part in verse 18, when he was talking about iniquities, when he was talking about pardoning and he was talking about passing over, that was dealing with the penalty of sin. And so Micah was talking about, like I said, when you, when you trespass or when you sin or you break a law, there's a penalty to that. And the reason why we freak out when we see blue lights is because we don't want to pay the fines, right? We don't want to go to jail. I don't either. And that's the penalty aspect. But here in verse 19, Micah's taking it a step further and saying, listen, not only does God deal with the penalty of our sin because of his love for us, but in his compassion, he goes further than just dealing with the penalty of it. He actually deals with the power of it. Because when he uses this phrase here, when he says to tread our iniquities underfoot, the idea of tread, and those of you who have ever seen the flag, don't tread on me. The idea of that is I don't want somebody else having authority over me. That's how the United States broke away, right? In the Revolutionary War. It's that idea of like, we don't want to pay taxes to a king. Who are you to tell us what to do? So it's a cry for freedom. And this idea of now, because of his compassion, it's crazy. He says, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Here's what Micah is saying. The reason why there's no God like God is because not only does God give us freedom from the penalty of sin, he gives us freedom from the power of sin. Now he overcomes and rules the things that used to rule us. And this is what's so interesting about sins. And again, depending upon your church background, you may not use that word, but here's what we all need to understand. We do sins or commit sins or trespasses because we are a sinner. And the Bible will talk about sins in a plural and singular form. And when it's talking about it in a plural form, it's talking about the act. 
But when it's talking about sin in a singular form, again, Paul does this in the book of Romans, which we did that last year. You can go watch that series. He talks about it singular, and then that's what he's talking about is the power behind the action. See, here's what we need to understand. The reason why you and I commit sins is because we have a power in us that pushes us to commit those sins. And so it's not enough just for God to deal with the actions. He has to deal with the attitudes behind the actions. He has to deal with the heart behind the habits. How much more alliteration do you guys need? I'm here all day, baby. He, he has to deal with the power that leads to the penalty. Let me say it to you like this. If you commit a sin and you get free from the penalty of it, and now you're a free woman, you're a free man, but now you haven't dealt with the power of it, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go right back and commit that sin. And this is why a lot of people who leave jail, a certain high percentage of them go right back to it. Why? Because they just dealt with the penalty of it. They didn't deal with the power of it. There was a power behind that was leading to the actions that led to the penalty. And so Micah is saying there's no God like God because not only does he deal with the penalty of it by passing it over, he deals with the power of it by treading over them, by overcoming the things that overcome us, by overcoming the power that rules and reigns in our lives where we, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, say, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If you haven't, your spouse has asked it of you. Or your friends, right? If you've never asked it, you're like, no, I'm pretty awesome. Just ask your friends. They'll tell you they've asked it of you. It's, it's that honest, and this is why I love the Bible, because it's honest, that honest question. I ask myself this question often. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why do I not do the things that I do want to do? Paul says in Romans chapter 7, it's because our flesh, we're a wretched man. He said, who will free us from this? And then he answers it, Jesus. And Micah is prophesying about the fact that one day God will overcome not only the penalty, but the power of it. And he'll do it by treading over it and then casting it into the depths of the sea. Now think about this from a human mindset. Is there anywhere lower on planet Earth than at the bottom of the ocean? No. I mean, it's so low, in fact, where light doesn't even penetrate, and there are creatures down there that we still have yet to explore and find. And so when God says through Micah here that he overcomes not only the penalty, but the power of it, he's saying, listen, I will throw it so far where you can't even find it. What used to rule over now, rule over you now, you will have power, and you will walk over the things that used to walk over you. How? Verse 20, look at this. You, this is the last verse in the whole book. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And then the book ends. You will show faithfulness and steadfast love, mercy. Here's what Micah is saying. What makes God unique is not only that he overcomes the penalty, he overcomes the power, but he does it forever. To quote the great theologian from one of the best movies ever made, Sandlot. Forever. Right? 
forever. That's what faithfulness means. Faithfulness means an enduring time with no end. So what makes God unique, while there is no God like him, it's not only because he deals with those two things, but he deals with them forever. His faithfulness, his steadfastness, his love goes on to a point to where it never ends. And this is when you may be thinking, well, well, how many times will God forgive me? Well, in Christ, forever. Forever. And that is what the story of Christmas is all about. The story of Christmas that you've heard in the videos that was read to you, it's not just a story. It's a solution. In fact, if you're taking notes, I've got a point, and this is the point of the whole message here. Christmas isn't just a story. It's a solution. Christmas isn't just a story about a baby born in a manger. And no, it wasn't wooden. All your mangers are wrong. It was stone. It's not just a story of a baby born in Bethlehem, although that is true. And Micah 5 prophesied it. You heard that in the stories. It's not just a story, my friends. It's a solution. And what is it a solution to? The story of Christmas is a solution to the problem of our sin. And that's what Micah 7 is saying. That's what Micah is saying what sets God apart, why there is no other God like him is because he is the only God that can solve your problem of sin. He's the only God who can deal with it and provide a solution that frees you not only from the penalty of it, but from the power of it forever. And if you want to turn quickly, I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter two. You don't have to. I'll have it here on the screen. But now I want you to see how the New Testament looks at what Micah 7 prophesied would happen in Christ. When I say it's a solution, what do I mean? When I say it's not just a story, but it's a solution, look at how Paul explains it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you want to know a summary of the entire Bible, here it is. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, we already talked about trespasses and sins, right? You were dead. Not only did you deserve death, but you were dead. You were enslaved to it in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You want to know the penalty and power of sin? There it is right there. So that's the problem. Now it says Christmas is a solution. So let's read verse four. The story goes on. Best two words in the Bible. Verse four. If you've been around here, you know what they are. But God. But God. In fact, this is the time where I, I do want you to talk with me. So on the count of three, we're all going to say that where you're watching online in person, because I need to know you're alive out there, baby. I'm about to get excited. I need you to get excited with me. All right. One, two, three, but God, let's try it again, baby. One, two, three, but God, but God being rich in mercy. Remember he delights in steadfast love. He, what does steadfast love mean? Mercy. 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, there's that word again, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. He delights in it and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Problem, solution. God did for us what we could have never done for ourselves, which was free us from the penalty of sin, free us from the power of sin. And here's what's crazy. When Christ returns, one day God will free us from the very presence of sin. Penalty, power, presence. But God, he made us alive. And and I love this picture. He says, and now seated us next to Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father. Let me just ask you again, kind of a rhetorical question. If you want to think about the lowest place on earth, you're going to think the depths of the ocean. If you want to think of the highest place, is there anything higher than God? So he put our sins at the bottom of the ocean and put ourselves next to him. How does he do that? Christmas is the solution. He does that. By sending Christ to come live among us. And here's what's crazy. Micah prophesied it in Micah chapter 5. And that happened 750 years before Christ. And now here's Paul in the book of Ephesians. Who actually saw the resurrected Christ. Talking about what happened past tense. So if you want to understand your Bible. The reason why there's two testaments. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Is the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ. The New Testament is looking back to what Christ did. So now you have Paul talking in the past tense what Micah used to say in the future tense. See, Micah was saying he will do it. Paul is saying he did do it. He will do it. He did do it. And what did he do? He freed us. I love how Martin Luther, who Martin Luther King got his name from. Look at this quote that he said in a song. I have it here on the screen. He says, though great our sins... And sore our wounds, and deep and dark our fall. His helping mercy hath no bounds, his love surpassing all. What does that mean? It means you and I, because of the penalty of our sin, the power of our sin, and the presence of our sin, we're dead, dark. But God's love, motivated by his mercy, And his delight in showing that to us sent Christ who lived a sinless, perfect life. Died as though he was us, was buried in the grounds. Why? Paying for the penalty of our sin. See, God is a just God, like I told you. Someone has to pay So Christ put on flesh so he could pay. So on the cross on Friday, what Jesus was doing was taking the penalty of our sin. But that's not it, my friends. I told you God's such a good God that he not only frees us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of it. What was Sunday about? Sunday was about Jesus coming back from the dead saying, now I have power over it. I paid the penalty of it. Now I have power over it. And when Christ returns for the second time, it will be freeing us from the presence of it. So here's what I'm saying to you. And this is why we call the gospel good news. This is why the story of Christmas is the solution. 
Because you, because of Christ, can be free from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of sin. So Christmas isn't just a story, it's a solution. So let me end where I began. Let me ask you a question again, the same question. Who is a God like him? Tell me and I'll worship him. Who is a God like him? There's not one. And see, Micah understood this, and here's the coolest part, and then I'm done. Micah understood this to a level I want us to understand it on a personal level, and here's what I mean. Micah's name in Hebrew, you can Google this later if you're looking for something fun to do. Just look up the meaning of the word Micah. His name in Hebrew means this. This is amazing. Who is like God? That's what his name means. In fact, it goes specific because literally translates who is like Yahweh, which Yahweh was God's covenant Old Testament name. It means I am. So the name Micah, M-I, means who is. C-A, like God, or like you, and then A-H is a shortened form of the word Yahweh, who is like Yahweh. And Micah comes to the conclusion, no one. And, and I love words. And another name that you might not know, I didn't know until I was studying this, is the word Michael. If you'll notice, Micah and Michael are very similar. And Michael is the more generic form because it adds on the letters E-L, which in Hebrew, that is God. So the name Michael means who is like God. And Micah says, no one. So my question to you today is what is your answer to that question? Who's a God like him? Because see, if you can come to the same conclusion that Micah came to, and maybe you're here today and your name is Michael and you hadn't come to that conclusion, well, guess what? God appointed you today. And he wants you to know the answer to the riddle of your name is him. There's no one like him. And if you'll come to that conclusion today, then you'll be made alive together with Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth about who Jesus is, for the truth about the story of Christmas, that the story of Christmas isn't just a story, it's a solution. It's a solution to our problem of sin. And the reason why there's no God like you is because there is no other God who has a solution like this. There is no other faith system built upon God becoming flesh, being born a baby, celebrating his birth like it was where it turned a kingdom upside down and lived a perfect sinless life and yet died as though he was a sinner because he was paying the penalty for our sin. And then he came back to life again, showing he had power over sin. And if we in faith today would trust Christ, then we would be freed from the penalty and the power and one day from the presence of it too. So God, I pray if there's anybody here or watching that has not trusted you today, you will make them alive. No one looking around or talking here as we close. 
But if there's never come a time in your life where you have trusted Jesus, where you have admitted that you broke the law, that you deserve the penalty, and that you're a slave to the power, then today God in Christ can make you alive because he delights in showing mercy to you. Nothing would make him happier. Nothing would make us happier today than for you to be made alive because it glorifies him for you and I to be bought, brought back into relationship with him. So if that's you, in just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But what this is, is according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, it's a confession with your mouth. It's a belief in your heart that Christ rose again and you'll be saved. You'll be made alive. So if you want to do that, whether you're watching online or you're in person, you can pray with me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, in my place to take my penalty to free me from the power of sin. I ask you to forgive me. I confess my sins and I believe in Christ and I'm trusting in him alone. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking or if you're watching online, if you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up even if you're watching online, you can do that. But for those of you in one of our locations, you just lift your hand up. We got men and women going to walk around, come by, put a gift in your hand. We want you to know that not only did God save you from something, he saved you to something, and you can be a part of our family. And in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to text us your information as well so we can know who you are and we can follow up with you. Because church is not a place of perfect people. Church is just a place of forgiven people who celebrate the solution <laughs> that Christmas is. And those of us who have trusted Christ, I pray that this Christmas you will be reminded of the fact that no matter what has happened in 2020, Jesus is the solution. And he is with you. And he will get you through. And one day he will make right every wrong and so we can trust him father thank you for loving us thank you for this good news this gospel message that in christ we've been made alive and that even though we live in a world that is still dominated by sin one day you will return and free us from the very presence of it and so we celebrate this christmas who jesus is and we ask you to continue to move in our midst, to let us know that you are working even when we can't see it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.